What social did to limit election misinformation. It's Monday, November 9th, 2020. That's what's coming up along with the week's news quick hits on episode 426 of Brave Ad World. New consumers. New media. New strategies. This is Brave Ad World. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 426 of Brave Ad World. It's the official podcast of BraveAdWorld.com, which combines actual insights with some of the latest headlines in social media and digital marketing news. Every week or close to it, uh, definitely not the last couple of weeks, I take the top stories, provide a recap, and then share insights as to what those stories might mean to us as marketers. My name is Taylor Wickert, and yes, I'm back. I have some stuff to talk about. Took a couple of weeks off to just catch up and get get uh, get caught up on some major so just get caught up on some things. So uh, with that though, like let's just dive into things because it was a very 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 big week. All right, let's talk about the election. So the election happened in the United States, and we know going into it, we knew going into it, the social platforms would have some work to do to stem the flood of misinformation. There were threats of foreign interference. There were there was the potential and the reality of false claims of victory and, and much more. So Collectively, the social platforms did a few things running up to the election. So labels, they made their way onto false and misleading information on Facebook and Twitter. One of the main culprits of such information was President Trump. A lot of his tweets were flagged with labels of that the information being shared was false or inaccurate or misleading. We also saw limits on political ads. So while political ads were banned on TikTok and Twitter, Facebook banned only new ads from running. It also had a transparency database, Facebook did, to show what ads were currently active. And then we also saw platforms just pumping the brakes a bit on the virality of content, keeping some content from getting shared too widely. Then we had election day. Each platform, they hosted an election information hub with verified information. It prevented candidates from declaring victory until votes were confirmed. Uh, So given the state of the 2016 debacle, uh, social platforms, they had a pretty low bar to clear when it came to making this election a little bit smoother. That being said, you know, the lengths they went to shows that the lengths they went to, I think overall they were... They did a pretty good job of clearing that relatively low bar. I don't think we saw uh, any more foreign interference than we did in 2016. I think what Facebook was dealing with was a lot more potential domestic interference of people using Facebook to congregate on the platform to potentially stop votes from being counted. They shut down a lot of groups associated with that. But I think like based off of all the stuff I'm saying, the lengths that all these platforms went to shows that there is very much a clear tension in the state of social media today. The platforms, they had to put in a lot of precautions, and that's because they present a real risk of misinformation spreading, the kind of misinformation they got a QAnon conspiracy theorist elected to the House of Representatives. So there's going to be a lot of reflections coming out of the election. There's going to be right now everyone, for the most part, 
appears to be the takeaway is these platforms did a pretty good job, but the past, present, and future of social media, it's going to be part of the reflections moving forward, and it very much should be, because like I said, these platforms put in a lot of limitations, and they had to, because there are some very, very good reasons why they did that. The potential to misuse these platforms it's pretty high. All right, that's the main story I want to talk about this week because there was really only one story happening this week, and that was the elect the election. So now I'm going to dive into the news quick hits where I'm going to hit other stories that happened this week at a high level that I didn't discuss earlier. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, Google, Facebook, and Amazon, they all beat expectations on ad growth in their Q3 earnings reports. Google was up 6.5% on search, 32.4% on YouTube, and 8.9% for network members. Facebook was up 20% despite those ad boycotts. Those were not all that successful. Amazon grew 49%, and it really solidified its position as the third player in what is now a digital advertising triopoly, uh, ending the duopoly. There are challenges on the horizon, however. One is the probability of some kind of government regulation. The second is the growth of user privacy, including limitations on Apple's IDFA, or otherwise known as the identifier for advertisers. TikTok and Sony Music Entertainment, they reached a deal that will allow music from Sony artists to remain on TikTok without the risk of litigation. Sony joins Universal Music Group and Warner Music Group in inking deals, which it's a smart move for them. It gives them, it gives their content greater distribution for TikTok. It gives it some additional security in terms of being able to run its platform as designed. And speaking of TikTok, the TikTok ban is looking more and more like it's not going to happen. A federal judge blocked restrictions that would have stopped TikTok from operating in the United States on November 12th. The decision was made after TikTok creators filed a lawsuit. Yes, this lawsuit wasn't even from TikTok. It was from creators who argued they'd lose their income if TikTok were to shut down. WhatsApp has rolled out a disappearing messages feature that removes messages in seven days. The setting can be turned on by individual users in one-on-one chats or group admins in group chats. California voters, they passed Proposition 24, which is the California Privacy Rights Act, or CPRA. This proposition, it expands and it actually replaces CCPA by giving consumers even more ways to opt out of data collection. It also calls for a state agency to be responsible for making sure the law is followed. So a little bit more CCPA with with some teeth. Uh, Snapchat is allowing creators to show their subscriber counts on their creator profiles. Recently, Snapchat allowed any user to create a creator profile after limiting it to verified celebrities and influencers. So this move, it, it certainly makes Snapchat more attractive from an influencer marketing channel standpoint because marketers are better able to evaluate potential potential partners. However, it does signal a bit of a shift away from Snapchat's original purpose of ephemeral messaging. This move makes it much more like a traditional social network where you're building an audience, entertaining that audience, and selling access to that audience to advertisers. All right, that's it for episode 426 of Brave Ad World. Before I let you go, I always want to hear from you. Send questions, send comments, let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like to braveadworld at gmail.com. And if you get a chance, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. It helps me know what you think and it helps others find the podcast. I can be found on Twitter at twigert. You can also check out braveadworld.com. Occasionally, all the podcast episodes are there. I haven't updated the blog very recently. 
more much at all this year. Um, but as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. For more, check out braveadworld.com.